secret truth. Through forgiveness we awaken, transforming information and knowledge into wisdom. And now our co-hosts, Charlotte Littlefield and George Butler. Welcome to The Secret Truth. I'm George Butler along with... Charlotte Littlefield. Well, welcome, Alan Watt, to our program. We certainly appreciate you being with us this evening. It's a pleasure to be back on, George. Well, I tell you, there's a lot going on out here, isn't there? Well, yeah. You can't uh, rest for a second, and there's a big change somewhere in the world. Uh, breakneck, breakneck speed, and we can't even keep up with it. To be honest. Apart from that, we've got to figure out ourselves what's really going on, because the media isn't of much help to us. You know. Yeah. No, what, they just what, uh, propaganda. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no in-depth explanation, yeah. Yeah, you do a lot about predictive programming and stuff. Do you see this unfolding like they have planned? Uh, how about the plan? What about the plan? Well, even this part of it to do with uh, the, the, this extended bank crash and then the incredible bailout of the same banks by the taxpayer, which really was all planned in advance because they knew two or three years before it that it was going to happen. Uh, that's, been, uh, that's been announced now and uh, admitted to by a lot of the big players. And so we're ripped off, and then they're going into the next step of the crash. But it really what it's to do is to bring up the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and the Bank for International Settlements. These are all, these are all really one group uh, that were set up, some of them before World War II and, and some during World War II. Uh, but these were set up by a, a handful of bankers, really banking families, uh, to bring in a new system for the entire planet. So what we're going through really is just the, the planned chaos so they can come th- forward and tell us we've got to give all the power of national bookkeeping for your own government over to the IMF because we can't manage it. That's really what they're pushing in Europe right now. And the, the IMF is going into every country there and doing the bookkeeping. But what they want is the is the... Um, the right to do, do it uh, for perpetuity. Uh, they aren't going to just go in, clean up the mess, and walk out again. Uh, they're going to. They want to stay in your books and do your books and keep a, an eye on your books for you. It's a World Bank, you see, that we're going under, and this is all part of the strategy. They're going to terrify us all into uh, the usual state of hysteria until we beg them to do something, and what they do is exactly what they wanted to do in the first place. This is the, the typical technique that's used. Some people have thought that there would be like a big false flag operation in America or something. Do you think it might take the form of just a financial crash that could create mm-hmm. enough chaos and... And uh, yeah. hysteria and so forth. I tell you, I really will take whatever is necessary. Whatever is necessary. These guys at the top uh, have a constant stream of information. They got the pulse of the public. They know what we're up to, what we're thinking, what we're worried about. They know if we're blasé about something and not worried enough about something, and they can step it up, step it up, and they'll do whatever it takes to get their plan through. We've got to remember that the group of international bankers that run the world. Um, was well documented by Professor Carl Quigley in his book Tragedy and Hope. And he talked about the, the whole goal of this cabal of men, and he worked for them, remember. He's a member of their group, the CFR is the, the branch in America, uh, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs is the, the British branch. But, and he was the historian for them, but he said the whole plan 
was for bankers and intellectuals uh, to come, come to the fore over generals and presidents and prime ministers and petty politicians and run the world the way they thought it should be run. Um, and this was all part of it, was to take over the money supply of the entire planet step by step and gradually. And they've done that really step by step. We forget that one time everybody was on a gold standard. Every nation was on a gold standard. Uh, they did not have at one time uh, fractional reserve banking, which they, they've had up until fairly recently. Um, with fractional reserve banking, you only had to keep about one-tenth of the deposits in the bank at any time, and you lend out 90% of it, you know. So, and then for each, for each one they lend out two, they can do the same thing again, 90%, 90%, 90%. So each time the, the bank gives a loan out, really they're creating money out of nothing, and they're adding to the debt to the, the country. So it's a complete fiat scam in the first place. It's like the global warming. If they can pull off the banking scam, which has very, been very successful, obviously, because most folk think it's normal, then they can literally get us to pay uh, and pay and pay for carbon credits and fees to save the planet while they trade uh, carbon uh, credits with each other. And it's it's the best scam ever because um, Al Gore helped set it up on behalf of his masters, you know. Uh, the Rothschild came forward in uh, France and one in Britain, and they said that all the carbon taxes that's going to be brought in will go through their bank, their private family bank in Switzerland. Uh, what a great deal. So here you have a carbon credit economy going to take over from the old um, consumer society uh, where the peasants pay all, everything back in taxes and fees for the privilege of living. And the bankers don't have to put any outlay out for anything. They create nothing. They don't have to store carbon or anything else. They just get these carbon credits that we all pay for the privilege of being alive. Um, I mean, we're living in Disneyland right now and it's been taught to the people that it's all quite natural. That's the power of predictive programming. Well, I tell you, what what about the drug uh, man, uh, trade out there? Are, is the big money controlling that from behind the scenes? It always has. It, it was, if you go into the history, find it. They're very, very old. I mean, banking, uh, it doesn't surprise me that bankers would form a cabal in the 1800s and decide to take over the world. You see, we're taught through movies and, and the silly history books we get that it's, it's always men who want to wear uniforms and be generals at, and conquer the world. And that's what we get, Alexander the Great and so on. Uh, it never dawns on most people that the bankers also uh, want to take over the world uh, and that you do have powerful rich families, just like ancient Rome, that are intermarried, just like any other royalty. In fact, banking is a form of royalty. They're intermarried to keep their wealth, and, and then they end up controlling royalty in some cases. But they have histories of economics. Very, now, very few people wrote true histories on any particular technique or science in ancient times, but bankers certainly did. They knew uh, the trades, uh, the trade routes they owned as well, um, they knew how they, they could um, rise co economies by bringing great wealth into it via gold or silver. Even before they made the coinage, they used to weigh it. And they kept records of um, sales to and commerce. So they also knew that they could lose out at times if countries went to war, especially if they financed them and perhaps one of the countries would lose. There was no international settlement. They didn't have a bank of international settlement to make the loser pay off their debts to them. 
So they rectified all that down through time. But basically, you're looking at a science and techniques of the histories of different countries and the rising and falling of different empires down through time through bankers' eyes. So they kept records of how all, everything happened. So we go into the 20th century um, with a system of uh, central banks. Now, central banks are private banks owned again by the same guys, the, the dozen families that own the World, the World Bank. There's only about 12 banking families that are international moneylenders. And they put their own people in these central banks of each nation. So they've got that all sewn up already. Now, the central banks generally don't have to disclose their bookkeeping or their profits or where money is going to any government audit. In fact, when the Rothschilds took over the Bank of England, that was the first condition they made, that the government would never, ever, through the generations and perpetuity again, uh, they would never um, audit the, 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 the private bank of Rothschild. And that's still the same today. There's never been an audit done. It's the same with the U.S. too, the Federal Reserve and so on. These are all central banks. Now, when we come back, perhaps we can talk about Ron Paul's effort to uh, audit the Federal Reserve. You're listening to GCS, Genesis Communications Radio Network. Welcome back to The Secret Truth. I'm George Butler, along with... Charlotte Littlefield, and welcome back, Alan Watt. Alan, uh, before we get too much further in the program, I'd like to let the uh, listening audience know about your website, Cutting Through the Matrix, that's cutting through, T-H-R-O-U-G-H, thematrix.com. And you have a very extensive uh, website, Alan, and if people would go to your website, um, what are some of the things you hope to show them? I hope to show them really how we're, we've been trained from birth, really, into accepting a system that we think is very official and legally recognized and all above board, uh, to do with um, not just the money system and the banking system, but also uh, our, our very reason for being here. Um, most people are taught to be employees, for instance, at school. They don't really promote uh, independence and, and small business. And uh, people never, most folk, you know, never even think about that. They, they go straight from school to work, uh, chasing a carrot, you know, anybody can make it sort of idea. And, um, and then pay their taxes. Well, the big boys, of course, that, that run the banking system and commerce for the world have been living off our taxes for, for a, well over a hundred years. Um, and, and yet it's strange, too, that, that most people will vote the same parties in left wing, right wing, whatever, uh, time and time again, and yet we, we still end up with massive debt uh, and if you could find the taxes that you pay personally, from your property taxes to your income taxes to your purchase taxes that are hidden in everything that you buy, um, I mean, it's staggering the amount of cash that flows towards the government, but there's never enough. There's never enough. And supposedly they have to go and borrow from bankers. Well, there's something awfully wrong with your governmental system in every country, by the way. They're all the same now. They're all standardized. There's something awfully wrong if they can't keep afloat with the money that, that's, that comes into them. And not only that, then the, the governments will tell us, well, we give billions away every year to third world countries and various projects and so on. And we also borrow 
uh, money uh, from the World Bank to lend to, to third world countries, and they put the citizens, you and I, down as the guarantors for the deals that always fall through. Um, since when did your government become a bank in itself by lending money out to other countries, money that they've borrowed? I mean, th- this is written nowhere, nowhere in any country's uh, constitution. Uh, it, it, there's nothing to do with that. that. Where you only find that, your, your government can literally borrow money from foreign uh, and private banks uh, and lend it out to other countries and put you and your children's children down as a guarantors to pay off that debt for the money they borrowed to give away. This is incredibly crazy, and yet we think it's all normal simply because we've been trained that, that we've got to listen to experts. And until uh, a well-recognized and very popular expert comes on mainstream television and tells the people what I've just told them, no one is going to believe it. Well, they're born into it, Alan. Yep. All the Right from the birth certificate. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. The whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, People are born into it. They can't see it. Um, and their parents didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they, yeah, they're not taught. And, it, and it's quite shocking when you finally see the system and the racket for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite shocking. And as a racket, you're right on. That's the word for it. It's an incredibly good racket. Um, and it's been going on for a long time. As I say, Professor Carl Quigley, who was a member, high-ranking member and the official historian for the American uh, front group that runs on behalf of this banking cabal, he, he wrote about it in his own book, Tragedy and Hope. And, uh, and he was all for the idea that uh, bankers should, and intellectuals, academia, in other words, experts and scientists should run the world. If you notice, when Obama came in, uh, there's a whole string of people that's been appointed behind him, and they're calling them science czars and, and other kinds of czars. That's a very interesting term that the media itself has coined, because that's what they call them in the, the Soviet Union, the commissars, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, okay, go and Go ahead, yeah, George, some sorry. of its uh, structure go back to Rome and uh, some of that, uh, you know, organization there. Well, ancient Rome. Uh, you talk, you're talking about ancient Rome. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, ancient Rome uh, had a form of. Um, you understand, there's never ever really been a true democracy. There never has been in the world. Supposedly, Greece started it, but when you look at the history of Greece, it was only people who were very wealthy in Greece that could get a vote maybe 25% of the people, and it was very much based on what later became in the 20th century, the Nazi system, that you had to prove in Greece that your, your family had been there for maybe two, three, or four generations. So the genealogy came into it as well. Most of the folk had no vote at all, and um, the rest were slaves. The bulk of the population ended up being slaves. And that's what you find, by the way, in, in countries that they call democracies. Most of the folk are slaves in one form or another, and then uh, Rome took the same system over. Uh, Rome was very uninventive, really. It copied everything from Greece. And uh, and they also went out to conquer. And what's astonishing is you find the banking families existed back then, too, international banking families. It takes money to set up armies and get them off to war. It takes money and the know-how and bookkeeping to supply them for the supply lines and so on. And you find that the international bankers would send out their representatives along with the invading armies of Rome. Uh, and they would then uh, be the paymasters, uh, the tax collectors over the conquered countries. 
and they would take a good chunk for themselves as well. I mean, there's always been slavery in one form or another, and that's exactly what Charles Galton Darwin said in his book, The Next Million Years, and he was all for the slavery system, another elitist, uh, where he, he thought I, academics and scientists should rule the world, that the experts should rule it, not just the, the, the wannabe politicians that do it for personal gain. Um, so all down through the ages that they banded this, this term about democracy. Even Plato said democracy had been tried in, in, in Greece, uh, as all the other types in fascism and so on. And he says democracy always ends up with totalitarianism and eventually a sort of dictatorship, a sort of communistic uh, dictatorship. And we see it happening today, uh, the same kind of uh, system coming in. Collectivism is what they're calling it, world collectivism under the United Nations, uh, a, a single banking system run by the World Bank, uh, the, the guys who run your central banks, the, the IMF, basically. Um, and eventually they'll take over not just the money supply, but also the entire food supply of the world. According to the UN's mandate, um, the Department of Agriculture has stated in their mandate that uh, one day they will dish out the, the food to each region of the world in an attempt to force down population. So they'll give food to, say, the Americas. There'll be a joint Americas, a unified Americas. And you'll get the same quota every year. And if your population goes up, then it's your problem. You've got to find a way to bring it down because you're getting no more food. They've actually said this. So the public are kept in la-la land, you know. There's been a concerted effort by the people that really control things to collective, uh, uh, make a collective world system uh, but with a with a fascist overlord type of yeah. uh, flavor, is something like that going on? That's right. You see, you see what I used to be. I'm fascinated by studying what, what they called socialism. I, I heard so many different uh, versions of socialism, and even communism. Okay, let's go into a little more detail uh, when we come back on on those differences and and why they're move, moving that and moving the world in that direction. We'll be right back. Thank you being with us. Sure. Welcome back to The Secret Truth. I'm George Butler along with Charlotte Littlefield and welcome back, Alan Watt. It's a pleasure. Peter of Cutting Through the Matrix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alan, we we, uh, we ended that last segment talking about socialism and so forth and communism. Yep. Uh, give us your view on how that's evolved and wh- what's really behind that. Who's behind all that? Well, the bankers like socialism. Socialism is where the, the government really goes to the bankers all the time to borrow more money for their big spending and building projects. Um, that's really the, the key to socialism. So bankers really help set up a socialistic system across the world. They like that system, and they get the government themselves to to be the collection agencies through the IRS and different methods of getting money off the people. That's really what socialism is. Uh, and the communistic type, uh, as St- Stalin said himself, he said that um, the Soviet system was just, uh, or communism was just uh, socialism in a hurry. And, it, and he's quite right about that because if, it, if you were to try and combine all the little countries that eventually formed the communist old Soviet bloc, 
um, it would have taken you maybe another 150 years to, to through little wars and skirmishes and, and, and treaties and agreements to bind them all together. Uh, so the fastest way to unify them all was simply to conquer them all under the Soviet regime and standardize one system across the whole lot of them. And really, when you look at how they, they've left their system, their school system, uh, is standardized, their bureaucratic system is standardized. It's almost a mirror of Great Britain's system. So it's ready to join into this new union, you see. And uh, even though they call themselves independent today and independent countries, they've still got uh, the same system as Britain and elsewhere. So the world has been standardized in Europe faster than most areas through uh, the, the totalitarian regime of communism. Uh, so that's what it really is, is a fast way to standardize it. It's the same thing if you look at Vietnam. Vietnam used to be a country of a few hundred warring tribes, much like Afghanistan. And they had tried the Communist Party in there before to get, unite the public, but the tribes kind of liked it that way. Each, each warlord liked his little realm and his, his cuts and so on, and living the good life. They didn't really want it, so they needed a foreign enemy, and it had to be somebody who was really foreign to them, so they brought in America. And when, by the time America left there, the only party that ran the country was what was now the most popular party, and that was the communist system. So it was a very fast way to unite all those people in time to join the United Nations and the blocs and so on. So you'd understand how it really works. So bankers like socialism, where government is top-heavy, uh, everything's run through bureaucracies and agencies of government. Um, socialism also can have public-private partnerships, which they also love because generally the private partnerships are the world bankers. Um, and the bankers run the whole show, to be honest with you, because every socialist country is always in, within, buried up to its neck in debt. That's the key to yeah, it. We, we uncovered at one of the World Economic Forums that they were pushing that public-private partnership Big time. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable how they were indoctrinating all the people, the attendees there at, at that forum there in Davos, Switzerland, you know. Yes. And with, with the private partnerships, you see, um, government really can say to the public who complain about certain agencies, well, we, it's nothing to do with us. We can't do anything about it. They're really a private organization. And, when, and that's true. They come under a different set of rules than the government themselves. The government must at least try to appear uh, that they're open to the public and answerable to the public, whereas the private partnerships get them off the hook with that. They, they just say, well, we can't do anything about it. They're a private company, you see. You know, there's a company out of Spain, BAA, that owns all the uh, British uh, uh, airports. Yes, that's that, that's what's happening. Uh, Canada, actually, most of its troops, it was revealed in the papers recently, uh, for the last uh, eight years or so, have been trained by the Blackwater Corporation. That's who's been training our troops. This, this, these mercenaries have been training the Canadian troops. Yeah. What's interesting about BAA is that they took over another company in Spain called Centra. Mm-hmm. And Centra has been uh, instrumental in Texas in, in operating some of these toll roads. Uh, that's right. That's another key to it, too. Is the, what's fascinating with public-private is you see the public pay for the building of these big projects. Uh, such as highways and so on, we pay, and once we've paid it, um, the government turns around to its pre-planned uh, sales guys and say, uh, we'll give it to so-and-so. They put it up for tender, supposedly, but it's all planned in advance who's to get it, and they get it for peanuts, for pennies. You know, you 
you know, there was there's an interchange there west of Dublin when I was over there in 2006, and I went through there, and it was privately built like we're talking about, and the, the private company that owns this big interchange is to funnel them into the other, you could say, divided highway system there, you know, mm-hmm. in Dublin. But uh, it's fascinating. They offered it back to the Irish government for four times what it cost them to build it. Exactly. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful con. But they've done this. You see, Britain was a prototype for private-public partnerships. Um, and, and how Britain used to do it, uh, and Britain is a template for the world, you see. Everything's tried there first. Uh, they used to, well, we, under Thatcher, was it not true that under Margaret Thatcher they started this privatizing uh, into their own hands? Y- yes, they did. Yeah. Is they, that they, right? That is correct. Um, under Thatcher, by the way, the IMF was running Britain. Most folk didn't know that until recently. The IMF admitted they had to go in and do uh, the books for Britain that was so bankrupt. Um, and they started selling off the, the so-called public um, the gas works, the coal industry. They sold off um, so many industries to these private cars. Even the water supply is owned by a private. For the whole country, is owned by one company. Right. There's uh, a company yeah. out of Belgium called Suez Company. Mm-hmm. They used to own the Suez Canal along with the French and British interests. Yes. And they are operating all kinds of infrastructure throughout the world, water projects and so forth. It's just yeah. amazing what, they, what they've been able to accumulate into their hands. It's astonishing. Well, the, again, the beauty of the public-private deal is the public not only pay for the building of it and then it's given or, or sold for a token payment by the buyers, the private guys, the public continues to pay for the upkeep and repair of it so the private guys are reaping nothing but profit. That's the beauty of it. We, we, can, we continue with the upkeep, yeah. It keeps the general population confused because we think we're dealing with governments, but yes. we're actually living in a very corporate, communist world, corporate as in uh, uh-huh. commercial, communist, commercial world. That's right. Now, that, that's how Carl Quigley explained it. He said it's a, it's a new feudal system. Yeah. We think yeah, we're living the, in a the, governmental the system, audience, uh, If they go back to that Fabian society that you yeah. studied in the past, Alan, is, is that a key sort of to seeing what's going on? Uh, that's right. The Fabians themselves, remember, were, were started by a, a bunch of uh, people who belonged to the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and the Astor family uh, gave most of the money to start it up, and he became Lord Astor, of course. They were all international financiers that started up all of these organizations. In, in America, they, they had the Ford, the Carnegie, and the Rockefeller Foundations to do the same kind of thing. And so they bypassed your, your governments by creating parallel governments. That's what Quigley called them, a parallel government which wasn't responsible to the public. Um, they could, by, by using philanthropy, setting up thousands of non-governmental organizations, uh, they, could, um, they could start... A new type of democracy where governments would respond to those with the largest groups, which are now NGOs, by the way. That's only ones who get access to government and demand things, and the government are only too happy because they've already arranged, they've already arranged to, to, to the NGOs should demand these particular laws be passed and so on. Uh, that's how they get socialism in. Yeah. yeah, another one of the keys to seeing this, too, is that these corporate institutions that were created and so forth, It looks like to me that it was a way to usher in administrative law versus constitutional law. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, in their own writings, the Council on Foreign Relations, which is just the American branch of the same group, um, they said themselves, and it was in Foreign Affairs magazine, 
quite a few years back, that uh, since they couldn't alter the constitution, they had tried. You know, they tried. They said they had to do a, a, a run around it instead. And how they did it was by setting up international treaties through the United Nations that would supersede the laws of the land. And that's what we've done from here on. And that's why you've got a, that's why your governments can borrow from a World Bank. That's how the Universal, the, uh, what is that? UCC, Universal Commercial Code? Yes. Uh-huh. That's right. And so they bypassed the Constitution. Everything, yeah. right? I mean, they've turned everything into different corporations, institutions. Yeah. That's right. Welcome back to The Secret Truth. I'm George Butler along with Charlotte Littlefield. Welcome, Welcome back, back, Alan Watt. And uh, gosh, uh, what can we do to turn this thing around? And what recommendations would you make to our listening audience? Well, for what's coming up, first of all, they themselves should try and get out of debt personally, you know. And for those who can get out of cities, they should be out anyway, if possible, to be self-sufficient as possible, because I think we're in for a rough, long, long-term ride here. Uh, so if you're in a, a little area where you can make a, f- a few friends who generally help each other out in times of trouble, um, that, that you're far more secure than you would be in a city. In a city, you're dependent for your food, water, everything from without, outside the city, all comes, gets piped in or brought in through trucks. Um, the more self-sufficient you are, the better. But to be honest with you, I think we might have to get to almost a, the stage of a, a crash or hyperinflation before the public are ready to listen to those who could lead them into a new way. And instead of going the way that the World Bank will lead them, which they will, they'll, they'll send out the right people at the right time to con us again. Uh, we should try and get our own people in. And the first thing they have to do, and it should be on their mandate as well for election, is they're going to end the private banking system of, that uh, runs governments. They've got to end that and, and start minting their own coin again and own currency as that they were intended to do in the first place. That's the only way you'll get out of this. As long as you're under the heel of private international bankers and every government's uh, off to borrow from them, we'll never get out of trouble. We do what the bankers say, you know. Right. You know, well, think, uh, go ahead, Charlie. Oh, I was going to say, um, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head there. We, we need to um, get to the point where our own local and state banks um, charter our own banks that are independent of the collapsing Federal Reserve system because there's a there's a high probability that this is uh, actually spun beyond their own control. It seems to me that they did not uh, quite. Uh, what do you think, Alan? Do you think it's uh, they? This has actually gone too far. Even no, no, there's not. In fact, the the Bank for International Settlements is responsible for the flow of capital from country to country. They've been running this show for the last 50 years. And so they can, and remember all the currencies fee it to begin with. There's nothing to back it except the faith of the people. And so, yeah, they... Why? Period. Yeah, that's all a big lie. So technically every country could start afresh right off the debt. All, each country could do that right off all the debt. You cannot possibly have governments going to the private banks, um, borrowing money and, and then selling that off as debt to people who collect it. And, and who actually make profits as countries sink. We've got to stop this awful corrupt system and get back to the fact that governments should be responsible for their own internal affairs and never borrow from outside. 
and never borrow either from any planted private bank. There's no need for it. The government's supposed to be in charge of the creation of money, and then they sell it off to the private banks. That's how they get covered their costs for the making of the money. And that's how it's, then the banks lend it out to us. But uh, the government would have no need then to go and borrow money from elsewhere. But then again, you wouldn't have the totalitarian bunch in the, at the United Nations um, running the show either. And that's the whole point of the fiat currency, is to give more power to private bankers and international bankers. That's got to be done away with, or we're all done for. Yeah. And it could be. It could be done away with. Yeah. You know, supposedly we've thrown off serfdom and slavery, but we've not thrown off economic slavery, and that yeah. economic slavery is the fractional reserve uh, sure. banking system. Um, are you familiar with uh, the new documentary, The Secret of Oz, by Bill Still? He did the, the Money Master documentary that was about mm-hmm. three and a half hours long yeah. in yeah. 1995. Yeah, he came out, and he's advocating for uh, local... Uh, state banks, basically, as part of the solution, where they self-charter, they create the um, the currency, they spend it into circulation, mm-hmm. but when the loans come back in, they destroy it so that they don't hyperinflate their local, you know. That's right. And I think it's a great, you know, concept, and that documentary is called The Secret of Oz, and yeah. he basically, you know, brought to life um, what was happening around the turn of the 19th century, or, you know, the 20th century, the 1900s. And uh, the person that actually wrote The Wizard of Oz was actually the same tale, um, but Hollywood kind of changed it when they changed Dorothy's slippers um, mm-hmm. from being silver, meaning the yellow brick road, and then the silver, the people that tried to come in with silver, but Hollywood changed her slippers to be emerald, which mm-hmm. totally threw off the meaning, the whole meaning of the story. Yeah. And I just thought that was fascinating. And are you familiar with the, the, this new documentary called The Secret of Oz? Uh, I haven't heard of that one, but uh, I, I know of the stuff behind it, the making of the movie and the, the symbolism in it, too, and uh, uh, you know, the tin man, the straw man, and so on. Uh, were highly symbolic, uh, again, of uh, the con game. And at the very end of the movie, of course, the, the one you're all afraid of is really a man behind a curtain uh, speaking through amplifiers and, and bullhorns, uh, just an ordinary guy after all, um, meaning the whole thing was an illusion. You could, uh, you, you, your fantasy of something can keep you in absolute terror, yeah. Yeah. And just like mankind, we can take control at any time. We don't have yeah. to give them our power. We don't have to at all. And Jefferson said it. See, what we're talking about tonight is exactly what we're talking about 200 years ago. Uh, Jefferson said that no generation can be born in to a pre-existing debt born and brought on by a previous generation. Because um, that's then slavery. You're born into a slavery system in that case. You should not be responsible in your generation for paying off the debt from the previous borrower. That's incredible. That's that's ridiculous. That truly is slavery, and uh, and we think this is all normal. No, it's not normal at all. This is an ancient system, and uh, to be honest with you, they could write off the. It's, it's all fiat. Who is losing out? It's nothing. It's backed on nothing. I mean, we're not passing gold bricks around or anything. It's all fiat. It's a con game. You know. It could be forgiven. It could absolutely be forgiven. It can be torn up. Yeah. And, um, of course, they want to keep the big game going, and and the general ignorant population will continue, you know, to go forward, um, unfortunately, not, you know, fully understanding mm-hmm. 
that uh, it's all a con. It, it truly is, yeah. And I and I certainly hope that uh, somebody. Oh, do you think Ron Paul? I mean, he was good for a lot of things, but mm-hmm. do you think he truly understands the um, the whole the whole thing? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know. I I look at lifelong politicians uh, as lifelong politicians. They're lifers. Um, politicians are known eventually to compromise on various things which they shouldn't uh, even if they're if they'll stand firm on one or two they shouldn't be compromising on all the other stuff that's wrong as well uh, so I'm very suspicious of lifelong politicians and even on about auditing the, the, the reserve and the Wall Street Journal just this week talks about the fact that the latest attempt to audit the Fed had been turned down um, and that was in the, that was in the May the 7th Wall Street Journal plan for congressional audits of Fed dies in Senate. So that will never happen. We need a cleaning out of, of the entire system, to be honest with you. And it might take uh, a real crash, a brought-on crash, to make the public wake up for the first time to the fact that, that the whole thing's a con game, an absolute con game. Um, where we're, it, It's so incredible. You were talking about the Wizard of Oz. I think about the carbon taxes that we've all to be hit with. Uh, is the greatest thing of us beyond the Wizard of Oz. I mean, there aren't, there's nothing even tangible to look at as a trade. There's nothing there. It, it's a complete fantasy, CO2. Yeah, one, one, one piece of advice that I've always heard and from very wise investors and so forth is that you can take some of these fiat dollars, so to speak, and if you can convert those into tangible real property or something that's yeah. real, yeah. would that be good advice? Absolutely. That's why they call it real estate. That's true. If you're not, if you hold, if you hold no land, then you have not, you have nothing. Everything is is unreal. Yeah. Right. There's well, a little levity in you still, right, Alan? That's it. Language. Yeah. It's all in the language, to be sure. I, you know, someday I'd like to talk to you, Alan, about just the, the uh, meaning of the language that we use between yeah. us. Yeah. That's right. You've made a mm-hmm. study of that, haven't you? Uh, words and language and how it affects us. That's how they run us, is by the technique of of language and how they can actually bring us to the conclusions they want us to to come to by giving us a specific type of language, giving us the problem in a set format, knowing our logic, just like a computer, our logic kicks in, and we will come to the very conclusion that they planned we'd come to. You're absolutely right. It's a science. And it's actually it's, it's called uh, uh, neurolinguistics and psycholinguistics in the mar- by the marketers. Dad, we need to have you on, and we need to have a show dedicated just to that. Yes, yes we do. That would be fascinating, just to dedicate a show to that. Yes, it, it, Alan, it, well, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, and we uh, cutting through the matrix dot com is his site. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much, Alan. Bye Thanks, now. Alan. Bye bye. Bye now.